WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 44, we talk about tonight's meeting, the things we ate for Thanksgiving, and Senator Jeff Jackson eats Tark's bow rounds. Episode 44 of R&D in the Queen City, or QC as many call it, Larkin, trusty sidekick, back in action, sir. How are you? You're still an idiot. Yes, I indeed am, uh, because you always trust your sidekick's uh, points of view uh, and and take it to heart. How are you uh, this week, and what's been going on in your life? actually got to unwind a little bit over the Thanksgiving weekend, and so that was uh, something I'd kind of forgotten the feeling of. Eat some mac and cheese? I ate a lot of mac and cheese. Uh, my mother-in-law had some delicious mac and cheese on the buffet at the Wright household, and uh, I might have gone back a couple of times and then really not felt so well that night. Well, I know one thing you didn't do at this little gathering, and that's ride a scooter. I didn't because I was in Winston Salem and they've That's been right. banned. All your people banned them there. Yes, they did indeed. Anything else interesting from Thanksgiving? I don't know. Went to the very depressing Panthers game yesterday. I saw a picture you posted. It did not that. go yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wheels are coming off. Yeah, indeed. Get it together, Panthers. Uh, we have not heard back from our friend Graham Gano. We know we invited him a couple months back to come on the show. We're supposed to also, I keep forgetting because uh, one of our loyal listeners emails us frequently about our field goal kicking competition. That just came back into my memory right now. We need to do that because you, you're you going to owe me, what would we say, $1,000? I don't think that's what we said. I'm pretty uh, sure it was. <laughs> we're probably just going to both miss it. And then, not, I, I don't, wait, if we me. both miss it, do we owe him money? Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. Um, so we have a very special guest for segment two tonight, and so we'll keep segment one short. We have got State Senator Jeff Jackson. Captain America himself. Captain America. You know, I'm not going to lie. As I think uh, back, because we recorded it earlier, one, I've I've said it before. I like Jeff. I, I, uh, I don't always agree with him on multiple fronts, but I think he is, uh, an up and coming, uh, you know, leader and, and, um, and, and in a lot of fronts, just smart guy, but in retrospect, and we'll let the listeners be the judge. I feel like uh, I feel like I didn't bring my A game. You might have bitten off a little more than you <laughs> yeah. could chew. Well, and, and you know, as I was thinking about it later, you know, not to make excuses, but it's you know, I I don't spend a ton of time these days diving real deep into the state level right. things. You so know? if you'd have been debating city yeah. issues, it would have been yeah. a, you would want have to been talk a fair about fight. Local affordable housing or scooters or you know. But he's it. probably smart enough to not go on a radio show and debate you on the issues that you deal with every day. That's a to- totally true statement. So I think, statement right I think the expression that yeah. uh, that you're looking for is he ate your lunch. Well, I wouldn't say he ate my lunch, but I'd say that we shared a plate and he ate more than half of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that but it, it was a it's good never happened with any plate I've ever shared. I, I, I do I do uh, I do have a call to action that I made during that segment, which is uh, uh, loyal listeners out there. Let me know, especially in some of the areas where it's quite clear I, I don't have a good rebuttal. Um, Gift dark some talking points. Are there are there fair points that I'm not considering or I haven't thought of or haven't done my research on state topics um, uh, that uh, that answer for some of the things that he's brought up? Or is he just right? And, and that's a good question. Before we uh, before we go to Jeff eating your lunch, uh, we'll so get, we'll get I, we shared the plate, Larkin. <laughs> we'll get back to your wheelhouse, which is local issues. Yeah, and now let's talk about it. A uh, couple of things we did in our meeting tonight that I was excited about. We won't go into depth because we've talked about all of them in depth before when they were going through committee. But we did the TLC for CLT. That's the Housing Rehabilitation Program. We turned that from kind of a pilot into a permanent program. We should change that into uh, make a slight tweak into one of those like, you know, where they're like, move that bus. And then we move the bus (laughs) and it's a big and we make a TV show out of it on the government channel. I'm going to put you in charge of that. No, I'm I'm going to defer. Um, We also took the neighborhood traffic calming policy that came out of the TAP committee, the Transportation and Planning Committee. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. That was approved unanimously tonight. The TLC for CLT was unanimous as well. Um, So I'm really excited about both of those, serve on both of those committees. And I think it's two of the best pieces of policy that we've uh, advanced out of either of those committees this year. And so glad to have those approved and fully supported by the council today. And then uh, we extended the naming rights. If you've been here about the same amount of time I have, you remember back, and people who've been here longer than us remember that the arena or the Coliseum that's on Independence Boulevard was the original Charlotte Coliseum. It has a ton of history. Uh, it is a historic landmark. And then when you and I, around the time, we were probably maybe going there for the first time for a concert or the Checkers games before they moved uptown, before they moved back uh, to what's now Bojangles Coliseum. It used to be called Cricket Arena, if I you remember, remember that. that. I do. Uh, it's been Bojangles Coliseum Cricket. for some super time hot, now. Super hot. <clears throat> and I think Bojangles Coliseum has a nice ring to it, a nice local connection and tie-in, and we extended the naming rights contract, and that's going to be the entire complex is going to be under the Bojangles uh, name now, which I'm excited about. And uh, So and I, had, it, I had two follow-ups on that one. I asked one question of the CRVA, Tom, who was there, and I didn't, I didn't get an exact answer, but I also – knew right away that it was something I probably should have asked offline. <laughs> so I kind of backed away from it, but it was, as most probably know, uh, Bojangles was, uh, the announcement was recently made that they're, uh, they're being acquired by, I think it's a, like a private equity or, or some kind of investment firm. It's not like a, a, a larger chicken, you know, outfit. <laughs> what are, are there larger chicken outfits? Well, Just KFC, I think, but, uh, is that a larger outfit? Yes. I have to assume so. You have to get a larger outfit if you eat too much KFC. Right, right. This is what you're so, uh, so, yeah, it's not a larger uh, chicken outfit, but rather a PE chicken-related entity. And um, and But the deal's just announced. Uh, I, I think it doesn't cl- final close until you know sometime early in Q1. So I, wh- where my question was going was, so we're about to lock down 10-year naming rights, of which I assume – and it said so in some of the documents I read that CRVA uh, and somehow it's a tri-party agreement where the city's involved as well, funds upfront capital for new signage and different things like that. And I think he mentioned in a little blurb at the end that there is a termination right uh, for, you know, w- without cause needed. 
So my question is like, are, when when the books are closed on this deal, with, do they come back in and say, ah, guess what, we're not doing that, and the and the capital's been outlaid? That was my, he, my he said. There's question. a pretty severe penalty uh, for a withdrawal from the contract. Right. So I think surely the people negotiating it made the the company that's acquiring them aware of it. I, I can't imagine that 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 was not on their radar. Uh, as a member of many different acquisitions in the past, maybe not. I can tell you that that doesn't always happen. It's like a let's jam this through. I'm not saying this is the case, and this is a large deal, right? But I've seen large deals not do it before. No, either way. I and think- number two. Uh, do we all get like Bowberry biscuits? Well, so what I was going to say rounds? is we should have negotiated as a part of this that we get a, a Bojangles uh, installed in like the lobby floor of this building, which mm. would simultaneously be the best and the worst idea. I've gone on. Have you heard about the new uh, uh, Bow Round diet? I'm solely operating on water, tea, and Bow Rounds right now. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they're sweet and ketchup tea. packets. Their sweet tea is so good that I had to stop drinking it. Well, the bow, but the bow rounds, like you feel healthy after after a nice round of bow rounds. A nice round of bow. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now as my as my new uh, workout plan. Bow rounds three times a day. Since your last name is Bakari, you keep eating that and, and you get 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 fat enough and maybe your new nickname could be Bow Round. I feel like Tark like Bow Round. Bakari. Anybody that listens out there in Bo Hongle's uh, corporate offices, please uh, give me a ring if you'd be interested in doing a co branded deal with me. <sighs> the other thing we did uh crva relevant is we approved and, and most of this was kind of reaffirming but approved the expenditures for the convention center uh, expansion project that we've been talking about for a long time even well before you and i were on council and um the hotel no we did not <laughs> Let's not confuse anybody. That was a joke. That has not been discussed, um, and will be an entirely different discussion. But um, and those are those are taxes that are earmarked and set aside for use on convention center projects. So these are not coming from our general fund. They're not coming at the expense of any other uh, of our priorities. But they're funds that have to be used for those type of endeavors. Uh, and the convention center is certainly a huge economic engine for us. So, um, any thoughts on? Anything else from the meeting tonight, or we just dive right into uh, to Jeff Jackson eating your bow rounds? I mean, dude, we shared <laughs> one of the small orders of bow rounds, and you know what are there typically four in there? Let's just say I ate one to one and a half. Okay, whatever makes you feel better, my friend. Look, don't lesson learned. Don't try to debate outside of your core competence. Don't, don't bring a municipal knife <laughs> to a state level gunfight. Was there anything else? What else do we have today? We had uh, we had a committee, right? Tap. Got a lot of updates. Talked about school zone stuff. Talked a lot about e scooters. Um, but no uh, no policy. I made votes. my case today for the next thing we need to do is a dynamic cap based. Uh, permitting system but i liked my idea too where we have people from those companies that can scan a, a scooter that's parked appropriately and then it would credit the last rider's account for some portion of a their next ride or a free ride or something like that where we can do some uh, carrots type incentives uh, to encourage responsible behavior i think mm-hmm. is is a good way for us to go because that's really the main thing i'm hearing now from people is just the carelessness with which they're parked um Second to that would be people riding them wildly 
in, in wildly irresponsible ways, but that's probably more to the danger of the rider. Um, but I think, you know, where people park them and leave them is, is certainly the, the biggest complaint I'm hearing. Right it's now. still cool for you to do your trademark move, which is ride two of them like a jet ski, right? Why do you keep saying a jet? You don't do you even understand what a I jet know, ski is. I said it in, in, in humor in jest, because I knew it is more like you a got confused skiing behind a boat, a jet boat. What do you call that? Water skiing. Yes. A boat jet water skiing. All right. Before this gets any worse, <laughs> um, let's just end it and go to segment two. That's true. We'll be back. We are back with a very special guest and friend of the pod. He's been on once before when we went on a little field trip to Raleigh, but now we've got him in the government center up here on the 15th floor. Welcome my state senator, Mr. Jeff Jackson. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to it. Y'all keep a very nice and tidy office. Yes. This is Tarek's office. Mine's actually cleaner, uh, <laughs> though not as trendy. <laughs> yeah. So you, sir, just got reelected. Congratulations officially. Thank you. Uh, in a very interesting election, your race wasn't as interesting, although we did uh, we did acknowledge and um, praise both you and your opponent for the nice congenial tone you took in your race that uh, you said, hey, we got two good people. We have some differing views, um, but that's what this is all about. All the races were not quite as congenial, and a lot of them were more interesting and, and more closely contested. What, uh, real quick, is your take on what happened in the election? And in the wake of that, what do you foresee in this lame duck session that you guys are about to enter into this week down in Raleigh? Well, I think my take is sort of the conventional one. I mean, the big headline being the movement of the suburbs um, to the left. It looked like the urban area, the Democratic stronghold in the urban areas expanded and the Republican stronghold in the rural areas deepened. So the areas that were already red are redder, but the areas that actually flipped some were the suburbs, which is really interesting for North Carolina politics because for a long time it's sort of been urban and outer urban or inner suburbs versus the suburbs and rural. And now it looks like it's sort of rural against suburbs and urban. And, now, and, and suburbs are the, the, the is the waiting room for urban uh, uh, bluing of the map. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? The transition is clearly that suburbs are getting bluer, not that they are getting redder. And part of that might be ideological. It might be the rightward shift of the Republican Party has left some of those people who are behind who aren't that culturally conservative. Or it could be more demographic, just that the immigrants or immigrants, people not from North Carolina, people who are moving here from other states are moving into the suburbs. And that's why it's bluing. That's what I would wonder if it were my guess completely uh completely a guess would be that the people moving into the suburbs are people who are moving to be part of the charlotte metro area more so than the people who have historically and, and for a long time lived in a matthews a mint hill um an indian trail are suddenly changing their political stripes I, I would tend to agree with you i think this probably has more to do with migration than ideological shifting so with what happened in Mecklenburg County, which is that the entirety of our delegation from Mecklenburg County to the House is now Democratic. And in your delegation, the Senate delegation, it's four Democrats, one Republican, that being Senator Dan Bishop going back to Raleigh. We have we Democrats have broken the supermajority in both chambers, but Republicans are still in charge, still going to be chairing the committee, still going to be setting a lot of the agenda and the priorities. 
do you think it's going to have a measurable impact on Mecklenburg County's delegation's ability to get things for our area, for our community, that we don't have as much representation as in regards to the, the party in charge? Particularly since there's a lot of new representatives also going up. Yes, I do. Uh, one big change off the top of my head is there won't be a target on our back anymore. I mean, I'll, for the four years that I've been in the General Assembly, there were lots of times when Charlotte was just getting kicked around. And not Charlotte in particular, although sometimes in particular, but cities more broadly because almost none of the existing leadership in the General Assembly, the Republican leadership, is from a city, a big city. Almost all of the leadership is from rural North Carolina. So there were a lot of issues like sales tax redistribution, where they decided to sort of pit rural versus urban rather than find a more collaborative approach. So to the extent that they've run offense on the cities, that is now much less likely to occur. Only because the supermajority doesn't exist and there will be a check on that? That's correct. It's not as if now they're going to say, well, in light of the voters having spoken so clearly, um, we're going to take a more collaborative approach. No, it's that the governor has hard power now. He has real actual leverage and every bill requires a signature. So do you think that when you look at, I I take your point that we didn't have a ton of leadership positions, but we had a couple at least that I was interested in. Senator Tart obviously was the co-chair of the the cross-body Senate and House uh, IT appropriations group, one that I was, that's probably not as, everyone's like, wait, that's a thing, but things like that. And then Brawley with his, his budgetary role that he had. I mean, is that, is even small losses like that going to be a big deal for us? Or do you think we'll make up ground in other, other angles? Well, I think we will make up ground in that really big questions of taxes are going to be resolved in a way that's more fair now and less aggressive. And and look, you can win on a lot of those smaller issues, the IT issues, and still take a huge net loss in Charlotte if one big, bad tax bill goes through. And that's now not going to happen. So all those people that folks went out and elected just a couple weeks ago are not yet members of the North Carolina House and North Carolina Senate. And there is still a session to be had with the sitting members of both chambers. uh, And that, I believe, starts uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. So what are you expecting to see there? I know there's some stuff that kind of has to be dealt with, but then historically there have also been some surprises that pop up in some of these lame duck sessions, particularly with a lot of folks uh, now serving the last month of their tenure. So let's just pause and acknowledge that we shouldn't even be having a session. It's sort of – it's a testament to how bad things are and how low expectations are. There hasn't been any coverage of the fact that this session is fundamentally – inappropriate. Um, It is designed to pass legislation um, to circumvent the governor's veto. It is designed to give them one last bite at having a supermajority and to circumvent the will of the voters having just spoken. They did tell us that they wanted us to amend the Constitution with respect to voter ID, but they also said, we want you to have a new legislature. And the existing leadership is saying, well, we're just going to pretend like we only heard half of that message and we're going to bring in the old legislature to implement voter ID, which is basically saying we're going to cut the governor out of the process of writing the details for how we're going to do voter ID. So it's fundamentally inappropriate that we're going back into session. And that's received no coverage because, of course, these guys are being corrupt and abusing their power because that's what they do constantly, which is why one of the reasons they just got trounced in the last election and why there's only one Republican left in Mecklenburg and zero in Wake County, because the message was so clear that these guys abuse their power so often. And of course, the very first thing they're doing after the election is a textbook case of abusing their power. Couldn't you argue that, uh, I mean, that's an argument. Another argument just is 
big cities and urban environments are going blue and rural is going more red. And the many rural folks that still have a majority are being sent back up. And in fact, you know, that that's where the new battle lines are drawn. So I don't know that everyone across the state might feel that same way. They might feel like, oh, these big cities are now going liberal, right? I, I don't have a great counterpoint to what you just said. I, I'm hoping there's a good explanation other than this is our last chance. There's to, not. So, there's not. And, well, they, and they haven't I even defended haven't themselves. Enough, they, haven't, they won't defend themselves. I'm hoping someone will reply to us with a good argument because my hope is that's not the only reason. Well, I think if Senator Bishop were leading the Senate, he might be thinking a little differently and going, this might not work out well for me long term to to maybe get elected two years from now. But for Senator Berger, for uh, Representative Moore, the leaders of the respective chambers, their constituents probably aren't upset by the fact that they're having this lame duck session that they're going to push stuff through while they can. That probably, if anything, galvanizes their voters and galvanizes their base. So I, and there again is the urban rural part where they might not see any downside to this. No one that that they represent specifically is probably calling for their heads for this type of behavior. It, we just haven't even seen any po- like press coverage of, hey, it's kind of extraordinary that they're going to have not really a lame duck session, but a, like a full-throated, real substantive session in which they implement a constitutional amendment. And that's clearly being done, timed in such a way to moot the outcome of the last election in order for them to pass this legislation. Like, it's just treated as obvious. So, so what's of course your, they so would do that. There so other th- your, are there other things you're expecting in that session, or it's just kind of a, well, a crapshoot? In light of past experience and, and them doing, you know, ambushing us, frankly, with stuff, um, my guard is all the way up going into this. I haven't heard of anything else. Um, as far as legitimate things, we might do some hurricane relief stuff. That's fine. No problem there. But we're all expecting another shoe to drop. If it doesn't, that'll be a wonderful surprise. So what's your position on the main topic that everyone's talking about, which is the implementation of the voter ID laws? Give it, have you accepted the fact that, you know, regardless of your view of, of kind of what's going on right now, 55% of the state came through and said, that's something that we support. Now, yes. there wasn't a lot of detail there, but what, there was no detail. So what? So what? What's your position now? Assuming that the state, the people have spoken. So how do? How? How are you going into that with the thoughts of implementing that in the right way? Well, this could be done better or worse. So it really is important to sort of put aside the fact that you may have been opposed to this passing, and now we're going to focus on getting the best product possible. That's really important for the state. So one of the major questions is. Well, there are basically two major questions. One is what counts as an ID? Um, That really tripped them up last time with the 2013 bill uh, because they sort of finagled it to make sure that they were going to favor certain types of IDs that certain types of voters were more likely to have. So what type of ID? And two, what happens if you show up without your ID? And so there's a big debate around both of those questions. All right, I've got two good questions here. We've got more than two good questions. Are you leaving the topic of voter ID? Come on. Not if you don't want to. I just, I, I just want, so I, I guess, and, and I hit on this, I didn't go too deep, but in some of the op-ed stuff, I think you said you've seen it and you've seen the fun I've been having. Don't put out a, a controversial op-ed right before Thanksgiving. Uh, note to self for everyone in the future. Um, but one of the things I talked about is uh, in there, within that, that, that conversation was, I love the voter ID concept, but not for suppression reasons. I like it because we may only see a small handful of actual fraud or maybe we don't know what's happening. But in the banking world, in risk management, we look for black swan and upcoming type scenarios 
where someone finds a loophole and all of a sudden there is a mass uh, kind of fraudulent use of it and then people are shaken. Fraud is very important. And in my own part, everywhere, I don't think there's been enough attention paid to fraud. So I'm for it for those reasons. I would think you would it. be against it for those reasons. But I'm it. against it for suppression reasons. I think we need to find ways to go out of our way to make sure that folks can get identification okay. wherever they are, especially those who have traditionally voted Democrat. So we go in showing everyone that we're not positioning to try to win elections. We're trying to do the right thing on both sides of it. I mean, do, how do you feel? Okay, about well, that? look, I mean, I, I appreciate that sentiment. That is absolutely not going to happen. So there are plenty of Democratic proposals and amendments that are going to be offered to make sure that everybody gets IDs, that we make sure the rollout of this is long enough to make sure that everyone can get an ID. There is going to be a proposal to make sure that if you show up without an ID, but you have the paperwork that's necessary to get an ID, that you can get an ID there. And all of that's going to be shot down. Okay, because there's not a genuine interest in making sure that the 220,000 registered voters in North Carolina who have who don't have IDs get IDs, because that's not what this is about. You should know that's not what this is about. And to your first point about you like preventing fraud, that especially because you're a technology guy, you should be deeply concerned about the language of the constitutional amendment. What did it say? Photo ID. Photo? Are you kidding me? Is that the best way to prevent fraud? That's going to be obsolete technology within the next 10 years, man. There are going to be a lot better ways to prevent fraud. We've now locked ourselves into one method of preventing fraud with respect to our elections. Not that there was fraud to begin with. I don't want to endorse this false premise. You've got one case out of the last 5 million votes. But if there's a genuine fraud problem, you don't do it with a, you don't solve it with a photo. You're a technology guy. You think in five, 10 years, the best way to prove your identity is going to be with a photo? You got to be kidding me. No, I'm I, guessing I got, one of your yeah. friends in high school probably figured out a workaround for a photo ID requirement to buy beer. No, I'm not did, saying did you did not. That. No, no, that was definitely not, not the case. I, so can we both agree, though, that while fraud today may not be as rampant and widespread as something to cause, uh, you know, everyone to freak out? There's enough of it that it's an indication of risk potentially to come. No, one case out of five million. Are you telling me that's an indication of risk to come? I'm telling you that's an indication of attempt to suppress the vote. All I'm saying is that would you not disagree that in ten, in five years from now, and I'm not, I'm not. Uh, you make a good argument on the photo side and locking something in in a constitution where that is a it should be the 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 uh, spirit of fraud control and as we evolve picture or whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that theoretically, right? And haven't gone too deep, but I guess my perspective is what if somebody figures out, Hey, here's the way. And maybe it's not, you know, a liberal uh, voting activist group. Maybe it's Russia, <laughs> you know, somebody who's trying to wreak havoc and five years from now, all of a sudden everyone sees it and we could have prevented it with something like ID today and like whatever blockchain technology brings us five years from now that, it is important to protect and put controls around voting. 100%. I used to be a prosecutor. So I'm going to say, show me the evidence. If you've got real evidence that this is a threat or could be a could threat. Could be. That's my point. But the, but the thing with in-person voter fraud, it couldn't be a threat. If you actually think about the logistics of what that would take, 
it's it's not a scalable offense, unlike a hacking attempt or something digital. You cannot at scale throw an election through in-person voting. I bet Target said, I can't, uh, there's no way my HVAC third-party vendor is going to be the way that all uh, all of my, uh, my, my customers' payment data and information That's weak, hacked. man, because that's, we're, now we're in the realm of cyber. Now we're in the realm of digital information. You're talking about individuals who cannot be replicated digitally. That is not a scalable we saw Method. we saw scale in in the 2016 elections from some of the things that r- theoretical Russian counterparts activated through social media. Hello, Digitally. my name is Tarek Bakari, and Digitally. I'm here to vote again. Uh, I am not the same man you saw earlier. That was my friend Senator Jeff Jackson. All right. Look, so, I read your editorial, and I think one of the reasons why you're in a tough spot now is because you've got to actually acknowledge, hey, Republican Party that's made a huge deal out of voter fraud, there is no such thing as in-person voter fraud because the people who you want votes from are the people who have actually informed themselves on this issue enough to know this isn't about fraud. This is about trying to pick up an extra 1% or 2% in a lot of close races. I bet you. I, 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 will, I will absolutely bow to the point that there are people with, with – ill intentions to make what they want is an outcome happen. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I, I hope I, I am not. And I know there are many others and I hope there are many, many others that are on the Republican side that are championing this for good reasons. And I think the only way we're going to build up the trust bank with other independents and Democrats in, in that this is a good idea is to show them through our actions. Voter perce- uh, suppression is not our goal. Okay. All right, I don't know two. how you can do that in light of the session that's happening right now. This well, starts tomorrow. We'll, we'll a make, big, we'll make a, an answer a for that. Is, withdrawal from the trust bank happening simply by virtue of having this meeting tomorrow. We'll make him answer for that if uh, if the leadership of both chambers does shoot down the ways that you try to propose to make it easier for people to get IDs, then it's, it would be a pretty hard... Uh, Which hard, 100% is going to happen. We all know that, right? Unfortunately, yes, we probably do. I'm not sure, but we'll we'll keep our eyes peeled. All right, fans of the pod have written in for Senator Jeff Jackson. Mm. Two good questions that popped up here. Has the recent election affected the potential to move towards independent redistricting? Yes, and actually, I'm going to go out on a whim and say I think it's going to happen. So I think we've got a really good shot of having independent redistricting finally after several decades pass after my speaking of corruption, after deep corruption on the part of my party for decades and using the power to draw lines to their own advantage, uh, basically cheating to win elections for decades before the Republicans took over and really showed us how it was done, frankly, um, I think it's finally going to end, not because people see the light or are now um, trying to impress common cause or we of women voters, it's because the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, not the federal Supreme Court, I think the Republican leadership is concerned that if they don't get their act together and have a non-corrupt process for drawing the district, then the state Supreme Court is going to step in. And I but think how they do you right. ha- I've heard this argument and it made sense. And again, I'm not a scholar on this front. How do you truly have independent redistricting? Someone is always doing it. You're right. You're right. And there are a lot of people who think there's an easy way to fix this, and there's not. And I'll even go another step farther and say there is no A-plus system to solving this. I think the best you can get is a B-plus. We're operating with 
F minus right now. So what a lot of politicians say, which really drives me up a wall, is, look, we can't try to fix this problem because there's no perfect solution. So it must remain totally corrupt and I must remain in charge. That is a bad faith response. There are plenty of states that have dramatically improved the process. I would take monkeys throwing darts at a board over what we have right now. But look, Ohio just passed um, in the last election on rep by referendum their version of independent redistricting. And here's what it's going to be. They've got um, a, an evenly balanced board, I think four on one side, four on the other, and one picked by the governor. And what they've said is a supermajority within that board has to approve the new map. So it ensures a bipartisan outcome. You know, That's you, not a bad you do way to understand do why it's frustrating to some Republicans that look at this to say, where was the Jeff Jackson of a hundred, the last hundred years? That Jeff Jackson up? was in high school, so they <laughs> but, can take a seat. A, I mean, How about this? What about Phil Berger, who filed five bills for independent redistricting when I, he was I mean, in the minority? Right. So I so, filed his bill. His, I just took it out of the trash can and filed his bill. So you, but you, get a hearing. I'm not saying right or wrong either way. I'm just saying, and to be totally honest, and I always hyper-focus on Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. I mean, we are seeing gerrymandering almost be the extinction stroke for Republicans now because we've, we, we, we no longer have competitive races. So we're always playing to our primary. And now that we're going to play to our primary right up until we've rearranged the last deck chair on the Titanic. I agree. I wish, but that's not that there were competitive. Every, I wish every single precinct in the state was competitive. The, the, the municipal city boundaries of Charlotte don't have anything to do with gerrymandering. The fact that Charlotte is becoming more blue the county commission is not all yeah, that, that Democrats now because sailed. of gerrymandering. I'm not saying it's that. just a shift in demographics in our community. The gerrymandering is is the fact that we have a state that is the epitome of purple and yet had up until now super majorities in both chambers that has a 10-3 Republican delegation to the United States Congress uh, as one of the 10 said because they couldn't find a way to make it 11-2. So, I mean, that's you and you and Ed Driggs don't serve in gerrymandered districts. We have just self-segregated as a city and Republicans tend to live down in South Charlotte or up in North Charlotte and East and West Charlotte tend to be more blue. So that's, that was self-chosen, not people trying to draw lines to protect their city council district so much as what's been happening in Raleigh and Washington. Mm. Mm. Question mm. two from a listener. Now that the GOP no longer has super majorities in the general assembly, it's inevitable parties will have to compromise to pass legislation. What areas of public policy does Senator Jackson see as most ripe for compromise? Um, teacher pay needs to go up. And I think that's going to be a big fight in the budget. So the big, big fight is going to be over the budget because it's the only must-pass piece of legislation. And if um, you're thinking about this strategically and you're looking at the gubernatorial race between Dan Forrest and Roy Cooper that's coming up, um, the Republicans probably have an incentive to elicit a few vetoes from the governor on the budget to give Dan Forrest some ammunition. So I think you could see several rounds of- Poison pill time. Yeah, poison pills and a several rounds of budget making. But the the top line coming out of that budget is probably going to be something good happening for teachers, which is great because we're 37th in the nation in teacher pay. We're $10,000 below the national average, below a lot of uh, states that surround us. So we're losing teachers to South Carolina and Georgia. That has not been our history. Uh, Medicaid expansion is another one. Medicaid expansion, in addition to being a no-brainer for policy reasons, is a no-brainer politically and is in private, unan not unanimously, I won't go that far, but overwhelmingly popular in the General Assembly among Republicans and Democrats in private. And three red states just passed, I think, all via referendum, 
in this I mean, election that they wanted to expand Medicaid. Well, if you're running a business and someone says, I will offer you a nine to one match on some essential service that you need to run your business, what kind of businessman are you, you to turn it down? Jobs in your business. To say nothing of a thousand lives saved every year in our state, 40,000 jobs created, mainly rural, rural hospitals. Rural hospitals that are on the brink of closing. This is just a total no brainer. Our own tax money being taken back from the federal government, of course, it's a no brainer. And all the Republicans want to do it. They're worried, to your point, about their primaries because they can't endorse anything that came out of Obamacare, or they'll have 10 pieces of mail run against them with their face printed next to Obama's face, and they're done. Tim in Moore, a Republican best primary. friends with President Obama. Is that who you want? That's the only reason why this hasn't happened yet. Go back to teachers for a second. I, I agree that we've still got a lot of work to do there, but would you not agree that the last six, seven years have seen incredible strides in our General Assembly? towards teacher pay. I mean, I think we're, I saw a stat where number one in the nation over that period of time for the, the percentage increase that we've done, I think over 20, 25% net, net change over that period and increase in, in pay. I mean, I know there's room to still go, but do, don't we, don't we, don't we have something to be proud of over that period? Well, it was, the thing is, it's not the last six or seven years. It's like the last two or three years because they let it remain stagnant coming out of the recession because they used the money for tax cuts that went overwhelmingly to folks on the top. We have a $24 billion budget that would otherwise be a $27 billion budget. Almost that entire difference would be going to public education. The reason why they're being lauded for rapid increases lately is because it was off such a low base. Look, the numbers that are are really constant throughout the country is where are you nationally? We're 37th. Where are you as far as absolute pay? We're $10,000 behind. Teachers make $1,000 less now than they did before the recession when adjusted for inflation. You just can't lie with those numbers. You just can't dodge those numbers. That's a failure. That's not who our state has been historically. So what do we need to do? You have another question, Larry? I have one more for you. Right, go ahead. Toss yours out, and then I'll close this, it. This came from our friends over at Generation Nation, uh, our youth council here for Charlotte City Council. Yeah. Student leaders would love to hear about the General Assembly's plans for school safety uh, in the wake of a lot of what's been happening here recently. Mm, good one. So we did increase funding for school counselors. We did increase funding for school psychologists. We did increase funding for um, defensive equipment. That's all positive. There was a committee that was formed immediately after uh, the Parkland shooting, and the leadership of this community uh, committee said, we're going to look at school safety. Uh, we're not going to look at any ideological barriers here. This is solely a practical concern. We're only interested in protecting students. One more thing, we're not going to have any discussion about guns whatsoever. Hmm. That was their stance. And to your, to your editorial, I think that's a problem. To pretend like that is not even worthy of inclusion in a discussion is indefensible. So for the people who are frustrated by the things that are allowed to take place when uh, we have super majorities of either party, to be fair, historically, uh, in our General Assembly. When will the new members of the North Carolina General Assembly be sworn in and starting their session for next year? January 9. And when does your session start? Late January. So uh, here's my final question for you. Everyone, uh, people compare us a lot similarly, but for opposite reasons. You're a rising star in your party. I'm a falling supernova, right? <laughs> so clearly we have a lot So I don't think that's common. people comparing. Yeah. I think that's called contrasting. Contrast, yeah, people contrasting us. The question for you is, uh, what, what, what does the next three to five years of uh, Jeff Jackson's political career look like? Uh, I have no idea, but um, I do know that we have a six-week-old baby girl at home, mm. and that weighs really heavily on my mind. Yeah. 
I have a one, three, and five-year-old, and let me just tell you, um, it is uh, uh, it is it is crazy. Is this, is this your first? No, you have other kids too. Oh well, what, we've got a ten-year-old, a three-year-old, and now a six-week-old. Yeah, man, three's a game changer. Three's a game. Three changer. is a game changer. That kid is wild, man. So, so does that mean that you're looking for things to try to keep you maybe a little more local? Honestly, it means you're I run for mayor or something. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Jeff Jackson could beat a lot of people for a lot of things. No. If I were, I would. If I were no. his advisor, I would not advise him to run against Vi Lyles no. for mayor. And, and that's a that's a losing battle that he's too smart to take on. That would be the end of a political career right there. Okay, so yeah, so so all right, yeah, yeah, that's that's a now, dynamic. I, I, I will uh, mention uh, that uh, you know by this time his children will all be in college or moved away or whatever. I have put a bug in uh, in Senator Jackson's ear already that if he is ever crazy enough to run for and possibly end up in the White House, I would like to be his Secretary of the Interior. Yeah, I'd like know. to go ahead and put it on record that now that's out there. Uh, and if you want to go ahead and say that that would be your plan were you to be President of the United States, that would be okay too. Well, you're probably unqualified. Yeah, you're <laughs> totally unqualified. And now uh, you, uh, District 1 will send out a mailer against you next year. He's not interested in District 1. He only cares he about... He wants to preserve <laughs> national parks. <laughs> To the interior. Yes, yes. Well, just keep it in mind. I'll, I'll become more qualified. It's not, a, it's not a hard no. It's just a very likely no. I like how so he, didn't even there's question, a he didn't even question the presidential piece of this. <laughs> only, my, only my fitness for the office of Secretary yeah. of the Interior. Thank you, sir. Yes. yes. All right. Any Anything other else final, you want to plug? Thoughts? No. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Anytime, sir. That was episode 44. As always, we appreciate y'all joining us. Make sure you share, like, rate, whatever else you can do to help spread the word about R&D and the QC. We'll talk to you guys next week. Later. Later.